This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the place. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. It was a good week. The United States is advancing in the World Cup. Mexico is not advancing in the World Cup as somebody who is, is, is very invested in that um, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, rivalry. I had a good week. I had a good week. I'm joined this week by Brady Altman's, and we get an appearance from Brady's dog. Brady, hello, how are you, and how is the pup? I'm doing well. He is less well. It's been a busy week, which means less playtime outside, but we try to be as active as we can. Um, it's Friday on the end of a busy week, so I think we're both in need of some desperate running outside and enjoying the last bit of nice weather we have. Yeah, well, I, you know, it, I guess, you know, here's the here's the good side of Nebraska not making bowl games. Um, there's, there's one good side, and it's for the people that cover Nebraska. When December hits, your season kind of slows down a little bit. Um, it, you know, obviously that's different with a coaching search, but uh, you know, you don't have football to cover. You're not going anywhere for the holidays. You get to go home for the holidays if you want to, or you get to go hang out with family for the holidays if you want to, and your dog gets more playtime. Yeah, I mean, I I long for a quiet December right now. I tell you what, I'll I'll be singing a Counting Crows tune the rest of the month. I think. I think you'll have a quiet December. Uh, at, at least next year, we are guaranteed one quiet December at Nebraska in year one of the Matt Rule era. After that, who knows? You know, you're not entitled to anything after year one, but this is Nebraska after all. Uh, <laughs> but, but you should be entitled to at least one quiet December uh, next year. Um, so, you know, I mentioned it. We're going to talk about Matt Rule. Um, Nebraska made the big hire and, and got the guy that was sort of atop all of the coaching carousel hot boards the big name comes from the nfl had the 11 and 3 season at baylor had the you know turnaround from 1 and 11 to 11 and 3 um you know trev alberts said throughout this process he wasn't really you know winning the press conference wasn't like priority number one for him um and then they had what a lot of people likened to a fancy wedding reception uh, for their press conference. And it, it, it was inescapable to me that Scott Frost is introduced um, inside Memorial Stadium on the third floor. It's a very formal setting. And then Matt Rule is introduced on the football practice field. Yeah. Um, 
and like yes it was a, it was kind of a big thing and they have huskers and like you know it's funny because the the letters that they use like the the lights that they use to spell out huskers in front of the stage for matt rule that was it it looked very similar to the wedding setup that i had at my wedding ceremony we had um like i think we had our names spelled out we took photos in front of it in that exact same kind of like light setup so that was that was kind of funny i i definitely resonated with the the wedding reception comment i i i when i arrived it i likened it to a prom but they had a flower arrangement on the stage that made it look like a funeral procession so it was a very weird dichotomy oh um what did you uh Let's start here. What did you think of just the, the press conference in general? Like when you walked away from it, you get to listen to Matt Rule for the first time. You get to talk to him a little bit. You get to hear from Trevor Alberts. Like what, what are you thinking as you're walking away from that thing? Well, it was a lot. Um, it was a very, it was a very interesting day. Um, I think everybody for a long time was waiting to kind of rally the, the troops and circle the wagons they they invited fans to Memorial Stadium to watch his you know the live stream of it up on on the screen and on the Husker Vision while the rest of us were there in the practice field. Um, it well, my immediate reaction, and this is my small town Nebraska upbringing, was yep, that's a minister's son, all right. Um, but it's it's really easy to see how he's so successful at what he does. I mean, he gets kids to buy in to his vision. He built a living at Temple and to a large extent at Baylor on getting kids and getting athletes who are athletic, maybe under-recruited or undervalued by other major um, programs uh, in the area that you have to compete with recruiting-wise and developing them and getting the most out of them. I mean, obviously, Temple is recruiting um enamored or hampered in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and when you're in Waco you're not getting the cream of the crop uh, recruits uh, of Texas but he he's a good relationship builder with high school coaches especially with other coaches around it's partially why you see so many coaches stick with him and follow him over the years um, I think like today um, as we're recording this on on Friday December 2nd he is he and his makeshift staff now are recruiting um, in state and going on the first day that they possibly can to different high schools throughout Nebraska Lincoln and Omaha especially they stopped at Gretna um, they're hitting it hard and I think that kind of that goes back to what he talked about in his speech of building people relationships personal relationships and and may, trying to make them Nebraska men uh, as he arrives here at Nebraska. And I think it's, it's a, I don't know, it's kind of a hiring coach line, but it seems to ring true if you look at his track record. So one of the things that Trev said um, was important was development, and that this Nebraska program is a program that has been uh, built around development, built through sort of, um, being better than just about anybody else at taking what it has to work with and making it work. Um, and when Nebraska was winning, that was, you know, that was what was happening. And Rule certainly has a, if you look at his college track record, and, I, you know, I don't, if you disagree with me, with me on this, I don't necessarily care about what happened in the NFL. We have enough um instances of college coaches having success in college and then trying to jump to the NFL and it not working and then coming back and that not really being an indictment on them 
as a coach. It's just it's just a different game. So I don't necessarily care about what happened at at Carolina. Um, yeah, I'm with you. When he when he was at Baylor, however, I don't think it should be glossed over when he took over the Baylor program. Right. So he comes in for Jim Grobe after a year under Grobe and Baylor is I mean Baylor is still even still today Baylor is still stained by Art Riles in in certain circles. Um when Rule landed in Waco Baylor was like you know it was like ground zero like Baylor was it, it it's hard to recruit to Baylor it was very hard to recruit to Baylor at that time because it was just there was such a stench around that program so for him to be able to take them from 1 and 11 and it, you know it's not even the the 11 and 3 year 2 years later but he gets them to a bowl game a year after the 1 and 11 record and it's a respectable team and it's a team that sort of um commands you know maybe appreciation um from his peers for you know what that program was was built on what it was about the way they played things like that and then they go 11 and 3 um development certainly is is a is a, is a big plus for rule right now yeah well that when i kind of once we knew who the coach was and trying to trace back um, through things that Trev Alberts had said, development and being the premier development program in the country stood out. He said that on multiple occasions throughout the search. Obviously, they've got a hundred and more money than I'll ever have million dollar facility going up right, right by Memorial Stadium as a testament to the university's commitment to that. Um, and I think that that just kind of lined up perfectly. And to your point about Baylor, I think it's really easy for people to look at the overall record or Wikipedia Matt Rule and see, you know, or Wikipedia Baylor and see the records and say, well, you know, it wasn't that bad of a situation. When Matt Rule took over at Baylor, everybody but one recruit left. He, when he arrived at Baylor, they had one recruit for that next recruiting class. That one recruit who stayed, they developed into an All-American in Jalen Petrie. They went out and they recruited, and I think they filled um, 28 other recruiting. I want to say they had 29 recruits, that recruiting class, but my I can't attest to that solidified because I've got all the recruiting stuff on my mind right now. But it's a, it's a testament to his guys going out and hitting the ground. Um, another thing that stands out to me is he was his... Um, after his first year in Carolina, he went back to the Texas High School Coaches Association and spoke to people and talked with them. This guy had no reason to be back there, no reason to curry favor from high school coaches, no reason to rub elbows and schmooze. He went back there because he's a personable person. And having talked with some people from State College High and people back um, for PA for a, a story coming up in the magazine that we'll have in a couple of weeks, it's that's who he is. That's like that loyalty, that perp, that people person. He's he is the son of a minister. He is that um, building up trust and the hard work and the blue collar stuff. Um, I think that that resonates with a lot of people. That the under recruited side of things, the kids that kind of don't get looked at the way um, others would, and it fits the mold. I mean, he's a former walk on linebacker at Penn State at a time when Penn State linebacker U was one of the premier programs in the country. I mean, they finished just behind Nebraska for a national championship when he was on this, the roster. So it's 
I think it, it it's a testament to Matt Rule and who he is. And if you trace back to his um, his DNA, it, it becomes apparent. Yeah, development and building up kids is um, is ingrained in him. It's a different thing to do it at the NFL. I think that's why he wasn't as successful. But isn't that what Nebraska fans also love? Guys like Ernest Hausman or guys like Garrett Nelson, homegrown athletes who come up and make something of themselves, or even Cam Jurgens now in the NFL. Um, I think it's a good fit in that way. So there's a story in The Athletic by Matt Fortuna from November 12th, 2019. Basically like height of Matt Rule mania. Um, media darling at this point. It's called We Are – the headline is We Are What We Tolerate Inside Matt Rule's Approach to Rebuilding Baylor Football. I would encourage any Nebraska fan to go read it. Also, Very Matt good. Fortuna is just a really good writer, so if you're a college football fan, go read it. Um, he has a line in there. I'm going to circle back to this later because there's another thing that I want to talk about. He has a line in there where he says that Matt Rule, when he was at Baylor, and in 2019, so he's three years in, still would call up and chat with the Temple athletic director that hired him and then watched him walk out the door, which I thought was cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give away the ghost a little bit, but I can attest to that he is still in close contact with the High, the football coach at State College High where he went to high school 30 years ago. I, I, I can confirm that he will sometime give speeches to that high school team 30 years later. You are doing a good job of selling this story. So I think I'm going to take a second here just right now where, where it fits and say if you are not subscribed to HillVarsity.com, you need to fix that. Go to HillVarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the promo code varsity. Get yourself signed up so that you do not miss that issue, so you don't miss anything that comes out from Brady or the rest of the Hill Varsity team, um, be it in the magazine or on the website. Brady, there's a um, there's a quote from Rule in the press conference, his introductory press conference. Brandon has it in a story on, um, on Hill Varsity's website. I'm going to read it to you. The margin for error in the Big Ten in most games is pretty slight. You have to be a team that executes – Typically, if you look at the Big Ten, the team that has the best quarterback play is going to win. So you need to have not just a quarterback, but a system around the signal caller that lets them be successful. And you have to be able to win in the elements. You have to be able to win in the hot early in the year, cold late in the year. You have to be able to win on the East Coast, and pretty soon you're going to have to be able to win on the West Coast. I think having defense, having a run game, those things are important. If you can't play defense in this league, there's three, four games you're going to get run off the field. All that's good. All that is, um, is is what you want to hear a, a Big Ten coach say as he comes in. Um, Rules Baylor team, his best one, was built off of a, a, a really good defense. And he told that defense before the year, we're going to get 30 sacks, we're going to get 40 takeaways, and we're going to be really good if we can do that. And they did. And then they were really good. Um, and the thing that they focused on was the the detail of the thing. So let me go back to the Fortuna piece. He, he gives rule, gives Matt a quote. We are what we tolerate. He says... This is Fortuna writing. Rule tells his assistants that games are 100% about the players. But weeks 
are completely about the adults in the room who set these kids up to succeed or fail. That gets me pretty excited about this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is all about the process and all about the coaches getting them into the best position as possible. Um, I don't think... I think it was a Pete Thamel story um, a little a couple of years before the Fortuna piece where it kind of chronicalizes the um, the Temple years. And there's that great piece where, you know, he'd have a cup of coffee and sip most of it, but at the end of a team meeting, he'd splash some on his face. Or, or, or my favorite anecdote was the one where he... Um, where at Temple they had like 72 rushing yards in one game. And the very next week he came in dressed like a doorman and had like a velvet rope and lights and everything to the team meeting room and called it Club 72 and was like, hey, you know, and like walked each person to to a seat and each player to a seat. And um, they ended up getting like 500 some yards in the next game um, and won. So... He's kind of unconventional. I know some people don't like, some people don't mesh well with his personality, um, but I think it's a, it's an incredible indictment for the people who work with him, not only choose, but will leave what they're doing to work with him again. I mean, it, I know some Nebraska fans have kind of harped on it, and there probably is a valid criticism to having hit, quote unquote, his guys that follow him, but when you've got a quick turnaround job to do or when you've got to get guys in fast like he has in a week, uh, leaning on some trusted guys helps. But these guys followed him from Temple or Baylor and then to the NFL and back. I mean, it's it really says something about the guy to, to have that uh, relationship and that trust with coaches because he puts so much on them to coach them up and for them to coach up players. So I, I think it's... It is a really kind of refreshing change of speed to hear um, a head coach to speak about assistants like that and get try to push the assistants to get the most out of players because throughout the week it's it's about getting the assistants lined up so that they can instill what they need to in players in order for the players to make the plays on Saturday. He seems like a very detail-oriented person. He seems like a person where the the details throughout the week are going to be really harped on. And I don't, I don't want to like, you know, when Frost came in the first year or two, there was just so much emphasis on, well, we weren't set up for success. We're doing this differently than the last guy did it. There was so much like focus on what the last guy did and how this was different or, you know, we're doing this different or we shouldn't have been doing that. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I don't want Nebraska to continue to do that because I don't think it's, conducive to success at the same time i am going to you know in my head i'm comparing the two approaches and i'm reading about rule who will sit in his office after practice for five hours watching film with an open door he has one-on-one meetings with players even guys that he's not directly coaching um do you get the vibe that there's just a different there's going to be a different approach between the two head men now i think so absolutely um i (laughs) um one of the first days that matt rule took over he tweeted out that picture from inside memorial stadium at 5 a.m the pictures of the national championship years illuminated inside the stadium and uh, presumably took it from on the concourse or just outside his office um in the stadium and me and uh uh 
a colleague of mine joked that, well, the last guy was also up at 5 a.m., but he just hadn't gone to bed yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just think that there's, to your point about being detail-oriented, Trev Albert said that that was a, a big thing that he looked for um, in the search of a head coach as a guy who's going to harp on the details and make sure that that is at the bedrock of what Nebraska does in the future. Uh, and I think that that's proof of it. Terrence Knight and pot roast, um, as he is known in some circles, the uh, new defensive line coach also tweeted something out from like before 6 a.m. one of his first days. And it was just the picture of Brooks, you know, Brooks and Tom Osborne, that statue outside Memorial Stadium. And I think the, the, the buy in is there to the to be there at all times, to just work at all ends and all odd parts of the hour. Uh by not only rule but the coaching staff themselves to do the best that they can for the players now obviously the players that came in were recruited by frost and they might not um mesh well personality wise with rule and that's what the transfer portal is for um the coaching staff shakeup uh has turned out kind of i don't know if everybody predicted it to go this way but we also just don't know the entire coaching staff yet so Players could leave because their favorite coach or someone they resonated with before don't work out well. But I know Matt Rule walked into his first meeting with players and said, I get it. I understand it. If you want to leave, I will do everything I can to help you. Nothing against you. But because you didn't choose for me to be your coach, I chose to coach you. And that's why I'm here. And I think that's uh, that's something that we'll probably look back on in the coming weeks and say, okay. That was a that was a sign of things to come uh, from this guy and how he views this team. So there's 6 a.m. tweets about you know various uh, memorabilia or things around the the stadium. That stuff's gonna wear off. There's excitement right now. There's you know you just pounded three shots of espresso. You're in that jittery phase. The coaches are excited. Obviously, this is Nebraska. You should be excited. Um, and for a guy like Rule, who grew up in, you know, in, in, you know, around this area, like he would have an intimate knowledge of Nebraska of yesteryear. So of course, like walking around the facility, seeing some of these things that are reminders of how great this program was, like that's going to get you excited. That stuff's going to wear off. What I'm um, interested in, this is a, you know, and I say that because. This is a program that has not had a winning record in quite some time. This is a program that has not had a successful season by its standards in quite some time. So, and at the end of the day, you are what your record says you are. Nebraska is not a good football team right now. And they're going to have to build that up. And the first year under rule is probably not going to be too fun. Maybe the first two years under rule are probably not going to be too fun. I mean, he won, he went seven and six in year two at Baylor. Um, so they lost some football games year two at Baylor. They're going to, you know, with the transfer portal, with every, they're going to have to find a way to sort of keep everything together as we move through the tough part. What interests me is how young this assistant staff is. Um, so, like, we can run through, it's six guys that have been announced so far, right? It's, just, it's an assistant staff, six out of 10. Yep, six out of 10, including Marcus Satterfield. Most of them. You know, Satterfield is 46, Ed Foley is 55. The rest are in their 30s. Um, that's a young staff. You know, those are those are young assistant coaches, even by assistant coaches standards now. Um, Corey Campbell, the strength coach, is 31. So 
I, I get the sense without, you know, I'm not there. I haven't been able to, to talk to any of these guys or see any of these guys or be in a room with any of these guys. I get the sense that they would be able to um, resonate better with today's athlete being younger than somebody who is in their 50s, 60s would be able to. Um, and I'm reading about Rule at, at Baylor as he takes the team through a 1-11 season. And, and one of the things that he harped on was we're going to keep the players around each other all the time. We're going to keep the team together. We're going to make sure that this team likes each other. We're going to make sure that this team is around each other all the time. We're going to keep them in meetings a bunch. We're going to make sure that these guys know all of their teammates. I think that's going to be important, particularly so in the in this transfer portal era. And I'm curious, do you, like – it seems like a theme of this assistant staff is going to be younger guys. One of the rumored DCs is, I, I believe, also in his 30s. Um, when you look at this assistant staff that Rule is putting together, do you get the same kind of sense that this is going to be like, you know, a, a similar approach to what he did at Baylor in the sense of culture building and like team building and, and familial bonds, things like that? That's, that's the impression I get. Um, and I... I think it's important to list well, and this might just be my perspective, but I think the situation he's walking to at Nebraska is significantly better equipped for immediate success than Baylor, uh, just in the sense of where the, I mean, you don't have that looming over you. You don't have a depleted group of recruits just fleeing the program. Um, they've they've got a, a little better bedrock for success um, here, even if the wins and losses don't directly replicate that. Um, but I, I think you're right. Um, a couple of the names I've heard have, they just don't fit right. Like uh, Snow uh, was one for a potential defensive coordinator, Phil Snow. And I just, I've, I've, I've been told as recently as this morning that that's not going to happen. If it was uh, going to be him, it would have happened right away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, we're recording this before conference championship games. I get the feeling because the university sent out a press release confirming those six names, I get the feeling that there might be at least one or two more that still has a game to coach this upcoming weekend, either in conference championships or somewhere along the line that they're waiting, waiting for that to get out of the way before they make their intentions known about where they're going next. Now that could just be, you know, circumstance or that just could be, um, uh, people who are kind of in the rumor mill, but that is the the impression I get. Um, but yeah, are we, are we sorry not to interrupt you? Are we waiting on a DC in uh, maybe Atlanta or something? <laughs> no? I don't know. I, I I haven't heard a consensus name for defensive coordinator yet, which makes it so um, interesting to me. Uh, one of the auxiliary names, I don't know where what his position would be at Nebraska because they already have a running backs coach, is Jeff Nixon. I know he's got a long history with Matt Rule, and I've heard that name floated out to me, but I just, I can't, he's a long time running backs coach. I just don't know where he'd fit in on this. Maybe, Maybe we could get Will Nixon back to Lincoln if that happens. Hey, hey, you know, uh, they got a, a, they haven't named a wide receivers coach yet. Maybe that's a spot that opens up for him. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's, it looks like it's going to be a young staff. One of the questions I had with Matt Rule um, and a very valid question with the hire is he has not recruited and has not coached during the portal NIL era, all of that stuff, uh, is a very valid question to raise. He addressed that in his opening comments and then was asked about it during his induction and um, seemed like he had a good approach to it. 
but at the the common denominator of college football and building a program is keeping guys in, building a togetherness and a team element of it. Some guys are going to feel slighted, or some guys aren't going to mesh mesh well with that. You know, if they want to move on, more power to them. I think that's kind of the approach Matt Rule mentioned um, he's taking. But building up that common denominator of trust, camaraderie, team aspect of it. Everybody do your part. Next man up if someone goes down, rally around each other and be part of a familial group here in the Big Ten West um, is kind of that that'll take you a long way, regardless of portal or NIL or any of that stuff. So I think he's he's got a good approach to it, one that will work in most uh, in a lot of ways, like running the football will work pretty much anywhere in the Big Ten in you know, on a rainy Tuesday in Stoke and as well as in the Georgia Dome. So it's it it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But I think it's a pretty it gives him a good baseline um, in case he wants to, you know, add wrinkles or something like that. Let's run through these assistants real fast. Secondary coach Evan Cooper. What do you make of him? <sighs> he's, he's got a good resume. Um, I like him. He's energetic. Uh He's got good, I mean, they all basically have recruiting coordinator experience. So they're guys that can, you know, have an infectious personality and get after it on the recruiting trail and after guys. But he's got NFL experience on a on a defense for the Panthers that frankly was pretty good um, at, for large stretches there. Um, and he did well at Baylor where they had guys performing in pass happy or pass a pass happy adjacent offenses during that time. So he, it's it's certainly going to be different in in the workload that his secondary is going to see. But I I think he's 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 a good get. Defensive line coach Terrence Knighton. What do you make of him? <laughs> um, it's he's one of those guys that's. He's a young coach, like most of them, young coach. But he spent what seven, nine years in the NFL. He's of most of them with the the Broncos, but he kind of jumped around there for a little bit. Um, I think when you talk about winning the line of scrimmage as much as Matt Rule did um, at, at his introductory press conference, I think that's a a guy with NFL experience coaching these kids up and developing that potential. I I think that'll kind of resonate with some recruits. Running backs coach EJ, how do you pronounce his last name? I don't want to. I don't want to kill it. Barthel. I, th- I think it's Barthel. Barthel. Um, EJ Barthel. He's thirty-seven. Running backs coach. And um, this this is an interesting one. What do you make of him? It the name kind of struck me. I wasn't really expecting it, but you had a couple of UConn running backs who went to Twitter and immediately said Nebraska's getting a great guy. Like he's equipping you for life. He's equipping you to be a successful running back. He fit in well at Jim, with Jim Moore Jr. at UConn, and they turned that ship around this year and have done a really good job. I mean, that's definitely worth noting. And they are not a, a pass, uh, an air raid style offense. They do run the ball and they do pound the rock. Hashtag. I guess it's hashtag pound the rock. Um, but it's. I think that that's kind of the style that that'd be really interesting um, with the way that the other Big Ten teams run the ball. I think he's kind of got um, in what he looks for in running backs is going to be uh, interesting in how it goes out. There's a lot of commonalities, the Venn diagram. Um, there's a lot of overlap there, but there is some athleticism that he looks for that Big Ten running backs don't, by large scale, don't have. Special teams coordinator Ed Foley, so far the oldest of the group. 
Um, we get a special teams coordinator. So much ink spilled over, will Nebraska have a special teams coordinator? Will it not have a special teams coordinator? Why does it not have a special teams coordinator over the last four years? We got a special teams coordinator. What do you make of him? Um, well, he, he he's the one that had that viral moment where he was interim Temple head coach after um, Matt Rule left for Baylor. Uh, and he's... If, if you search on YouTube, you can find some good inspirational, like jacked up clips of him getting the team ready, which is kind of funny just in his juxtaposition of, of what he looks like versus like getting these guys riled up around him. But he's another one of those trusted hands that's kind of been there or rule adjacent over the years. And if he can get, if he can get guys riled up like that as an interim head coach and now at special teams, which he has a good crop of experience for, I, I think he could fit in well and do well there. And the big one um, who, you know, arguably like rule bought at the time that his stock was as high as it will be Marcus Satterfield, <laughs> the offensive coordinator who comes over from South Carolina. It's funny because, you know, early in the season, like I don't think South Carolina fans were too happy with uh, what was happening with their offense. And then, you know, funny what happens when you absolutely obliterate Tennessee, um, your fortunes can change pretty quickly. What do you make of Marcus Satterfield as the offensive <laughs> coordinator? Uh, this would be like if Nebraska were to hire Mike Riley on the heels of beating both UCLA and USC. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I please don't evoke Mike Riley on the podcast. <laughs> we don't need that. We're 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 two eras away now. We don't we don't need we don't need that. All due respect to uh, to Mr. Mike Riley. We don't need. We're done with that. Move on. No, no, you're absolutely right. It's just in a sense of I don't think that it would have made a whole lot of sense, or I don't think that that's one that. I think a lot of people would have took pause with, but then here's what happens when you beat two top 10 teams and not only beat them, but blow the doors off them. I mean, you really make a case for yourself. He's got SEC experience. He's got kind of a, I don't want to say a a unique offensive style, but he's very definitive offensive style in his mix of somewhat of an RPO, somewhat of a a lot of motion, a lot of um, backs in motion, trying to get them not um, not so much stagnant before the snap and hitting the line of scrimmage. It's I, I haven't really analyzed his route combinations beyond the last five games for South Carolina this this season, but I think that that could. I th- well, it, I think it definitely could work. I'm more interested to see what what all of this turns into and it's worth noting that he will also coach tight ends which i think is kind of fascinating um considering his history as a, as a quarterback's coach and nebraska having such a, a long history of developing good tight ends so i'm always a fan of a tight end or a, an offense that gets tight ends involved in the passing game so i'm going to be really curious to see if he adjusts his game plan at all to the big 10. i don't know marcus satterfield um, but one thing I will say is, you know, juxtapose what South Carolina did as Satterfield is, is presumably um, talking with Nebraska or preparing to take the Nebraska job. Juxtapose that with what happened at Oregon with Kenny Dillingham preparing for Arizona State. Um, not that Not that Kenny Dillingham, you know, handled things wrong Oregon 
goes scoreless over the last 19 minutes of clock, loses to his in-state rival, Oregon State. And then within an hour of that game ending, you know, news breaks that Kenny Dillingham, Oregon's offensive coordinator, is off to Arizona State. Satterfield presumably is talking with Nebraska. His people are talking with Nebraska. He's thinking about Nebraska. And at the same time, constructs two very good game plans to beat the brakes off of Tennessee and then Clemson. I mean, you know, when your focus is split like that, like we praised Scott Frost for this when he took the Nebraska job and then still coached UCF to the bowl game, like that's impressive to do. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, you, I think you, you deserve a lot of respect um, when you're able to set yourself up for the next position while also making sure that the job that you're currently working is getting your very best right up until the very end. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm curious how much of that is Shane Beamer um, in the way that his, he constructs his team. I know I'm on the fence about Shane. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to criticize him at all. That's that's his game plan. I know some people will, but I also I've I've watched South Carolina multiple times and thought there's a good team in there. He's just got to get it out of them. Um, and I think that might be kind of something that Marcus and Satterfield did. Obviously, it helps having a guy like Spencer Rattler, who. I didn't think lived up to the, all the hype around him, but I mean, when the spotlight was on, he played his best in those last two games. And um, who knows who Nebraska's quarterback is going to be? Um, if you were to just transplant Marcus Satterfield into the game plan now, I think Rattler is a little different than Casey Thompson. But when Casey felt himself and got in a groove and in the mojo, he wasn't afraid to tuck and run. He could deliver a good throw, and um, I'd be curious to see how uh, how spring camp and stuff like that goes um, for those guys and and how that they'd mesh well. Um, it you got to get a speedster receiver now uh, with the way Trey Palmer declared to the NFL, but um, I, that seems to be the kind of thing that Rule likes to recruit for. So we'll see if they can they can get one in the program. So Baylor in in 2019 finished offensively they finished 28th in S and P plus. Um, Defensively, they were 18th. They, that was a team that was was in large part built around its defense. Um, incomplete on that side of the ball. And we saw Ernest Hausman jump into the transfer portal um, this past week, which I think is, is, is just an indication that um, we still have a lot to figure out about what Nebraska's defense is going to look like next. He has not made a defensive coordinator hire, he being Matt Rule. Um, that feels like the most important thing in the Nebraska football universe uh, right now. I guess, what what do you make of that opening? What do you make of, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it earlier of, of Schumann at Georgia. I, so what do you make of sort of the, the pool of names that you have heard on that front um, and, and just that, that spot in general? Uh, I've heard Schumann. I don't know how serious it is uh, because it was just kind of too too early in the process maybe. Um, I think there might be some interest there, but you're also just, I don't know, where the way George is at, that's one of, I mean, it's inc- it's incredible to, to the point of like f- having focus and like coaching uh, a team while also potentially having another career move on the back burner. Uh, that would be that would be incredibly impressive um, to, to take that on or to even and it'd be incredibly impressive for Nebraska to get George's defensive coordinator in. Let's be honest. Um, 
one thing I'd, I'd the Nebraska is going to have guys in the transfer portal just because of the way it, the upheaval and a coaching staff change that happens. Um, one thing that I think kind of goes unnoticed or unsaid uh, that I, I, I believe needs to be mentioned is Barrett Root did a good job. I think Barrett Root has done a good job. Not only um, the amount of linebackers that Nebraska's had in years previous, but in this year alone. I mean, you've got Nick and Luke played really well right beside each other and both went down with injuries. Matva and then Ernest step in and played great. I think there's there's something to be said for that. Just the way that they stepped up and the way that Ernest improved and then progressed over the year. I mean, he looked large-scale lost against Northwestern in the opener, and he comes in and makes the textbook perfect play, a sack against Michigan. I mean, you couldn't draw it up any better than that. I think, And I think that there's a relationship there between Ernest and Barrett. I wonder if that's part of it. Um, I, To be honest, I haven't heard a confirmed yes or no if Barrett will still be on staff. They haven't chosen a linebacker's coach yet. But I think all indication is is that he might be on. He might be one that kind of gets the the phone call of thanks, best of luck on your future endeavors, kind of thing. Um, I think those who enter the transfer portal are just having want to keep their options open because that's the way things operate now, and more power to them on that front. But I wonder if you'll get a decent amount of kids that decide, hey, I like. I like Rule. I like what he means. He, I like the guys who will work directly with me most often. Uh, I think I'll come back to Nebraska because I like what they've got going on there and building building for in the future. Um, so it's, yeah, it's going to sound really frustrating, but now you just got to play the waiting game and see what news is, is plucked into what job and, and what the players feel about him. I've heard Jake Pete's name thrown around as quarterback coach. Is that... I, I think- I guess, what do you make of, of that possibility? Um, I think it'd be really interesting. It's one of the coaches that you'd probably like to have from a cultural standpoint with him being a former Husker and from O'Neill. Uh, I think he's, as a coach alone, I think he's done some things that you'd like to get in. But I understand that his his hire might be contingent on the fate of Mickey Joseph. So we'll see how that um, unfolds. Okay, so let's talk about that next. Um, Mickey was arrested on suspicion, and I want to make sure that I get the terminology here right. Um, he was arrested Wednesday and faces charges of strangulation and third-degree domestic assault. Um, Joseph denied to police that he assaulted the woman in question. Um, Nebraska has placed him on administrative leave. He made his initial court appearance in uh, Lancaster County Court on Thursday. According to ESPN, did not enter a plea. Um, there were a lot of people who, before this uh, arrest became public, wanted Mickey Joseph to remain on the staff. There are a lot of people now who think that that ship has sailed. I guess, you know, what's the latest on, on this situation? Well, what we know is that um, Matt Rule went on the Jim Rome show and said that they had a, Mickey and Matt had a meeting scheduled for Wednesday that meeting did not occur because of this incident and his arrest. Um, he was held and appeared um, at, had, at his initial court appearance, appeared via Zoom from Lancaster County Corrections, uh, has since, I think with his lawyer's uh, assistance, bail or posted bail and is now out of, 
uh, corrections. Um, that is obviously a developing situation, and Matt Rule kind of mentioned we'll see how how everything unfolds. I Trev Albert said that, or issued in a statement that. Um, He's suspended indefinitely from the program, and um, the university will have no further comment. I, I, realistically speaking, I just don't see any way that he is retained and stays at Nebraska. Um, I know that his. I think it hurts a lot of Husker fans that this news, not only from the domestic violence aspect, which should certainly be up front first and foremost. I mean, that's a that's a very serious thing, and that is something that should just whole scale outside of football be taken extremely seriously by not only Husker fans but uh, society in general. Um, but on a, from a footballing standpoint, a lot of Husker fans rallied around this football team because of the way Mickey Joseph handled himself and rallied the team. Um, he took accountability for himself after the Oklahoma loss and said it's on him. Um, he, he, I think at that time and going into the last stretch of the game, said that um, the University of Nebraska is bigger than one man. The University of Nebraska is bigger than me and all of this. And when Miles Farmer got suspended, said, you know, he he didn't protect the program. He didn't do what he needed to do. And people over the course of those 11 weeks that Mickey Joseph was interim head coach saw this former Husker and said, this guy gets it. And we want this guy on staff. And I think that that that's what makes this a little bit more difficult for a lot of Husker fans is just to see that, that the guy that they really loved and the way that he carried himself and treated others, this, this is, this developed out of it at a time when they could have had a an ex-NFL coach and still had the guy that they liked on staff. Um, obviously, we'll have more in, more news and follow the story as it kind of unfolds, but I've, f- from a personal standpoint, I don't understand how in the world you could possibly retain or keep a coach and, and convince the fan base, say, the, the time at, at the most cynical standpoint the timing is is awful because you've got to fill the positions and fill the staff fast and this is just too new and you haven't even let the the justice system work its way out or however his court you know however the legal system proceeds in this matter you you let that unfold and it just doesn't leave you a whole lot of time um, that's not to say that he does he or whoever else someone of similar circumstance doesn't um, doesn't deserve a second chance but those things are earned in time and i it's it's one of those things where you've definitely got to do the time or um pay a penance or you've got to allow the the judicial system as as it is right now to work run its course and then everything football and life um well football definitely comes after it and then whatever life is after that will pick up the pieces and see what what any of this is and what the situation looks like at that point. Yeah, I think from Nebraska's perspective, from Trev's perspective, you would certainly prefer to be able to say, we're going to let the justice um, system, we're going to let, you know, due process sort of play its way out. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, based on what is decided there, we'll, we'll make a decision. You can't do that with... Uh, with this new coaching staff and the timing of everything, um, yeah. you know, because if you just sit on your hands and wait, you get past early signing day, 
Um, his next court appearance, I think, is set for January 30th. I mean, you're getting close to National Signing Day at that point if you're waiting for it to play out, um, and, it, and, it, and it goes that long. It, you know, if, if the facts are if the facts as they have been presented are proven to be true, the allegations are proven to be true, then he's obviously not being retained. Right. He's obviously not coming to, back to Nebraska. But you're kind of in a situation now where you have to sort of make decisions before you know whether or not those things are true. Um, I just think so much of the, the uncertainty of that situation, I think puts it puts Matt Rule in a in a in a tough spot. Um but obviously you know the 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 victim in this situation is in a much tougher spot. Correct. Um and so I, I think we just end by saying that um I hope they're okay. I hope they are doing well and um yeah. Bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough to, I don't know. It's just tough to be associated or have your name close to that. It's, it's, it's one of those things that you absolutely have to avoid as a program, you know? Yeah. From Nebraska's perspective, again, from Nebraska's perspective, like there are things that are, that are more important than the Nebraska football program, but from Nebraska's perspective, um, you, you know, they sort of operate a little bit like, particularly with Trev, like the NFL says all the time, like protect the shield. Yeah. Um, there's an element of like, you know, protect the end, um, which is to say, you know, it, you're put in a leadership position. You're put in um, a position of power. You need to have respect for that position. You need to hold yourself to a higher standard and there's going to be accountability associated when you fall short of that standard. Um, so yeah, it's a tough situation. But I, you know, I guess you guys are doing, you guys are doing a good job. Um, the, the Nebraska media in general is doing a good job of, of um, covering this, I think. So we'll, uh, we'll learn more soon enough. Um, and we'll learn, you know, we'll learn about Nebraska's got four assistant coaching spots left to fill. Correct. Four. Four, yeah, four full-time staff plus whatever analyst roles or um, adjacent or staff adjacent roles they fill. And then um, we're coming up on uh, on the early signing period. It's it'll, it'll in, you know two weeks, three weeks, um, a little less. It'll be here before you know it. So keep reading HillVarsity.com, everybody that's listening to this uh, to to stay up to date on everything. Um, Brady, I'll let you go. You've got work to do. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was uh, it was good to catch up. Yeah, man, good to talk to you. Shout out to you guys for listening to this episode every week. Uh, We will be back next week with another show. Um, Yeah, this was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Talk to you guys later. A Huda Media Production.